and welcome to Pop Tarts. Me, 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 me. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, we're going to be talking about the biggest movie in the world, Black Panther. In case you've been living under a rock, Marvel's (laughs) Black Panther has continued to exceed all the box office hype that preceded its release on February 16th. It was directed by Ryan Coogler, who's also the director of Creed and Fruitvale Station, and it is set in the technologically advanced, mythical nation of Wakanda. Here to discuss the feminist ins and outs of this blockbuster is former Bust intern and current superstar Bust pop culture writer, Brianna Menchin. Woo! Wakanda forever. (laughs) Welcome back, Brianna. You may remember Brianna from our probing discussion what's the tea on cardi b barty (laughs) barty gang in the house and now brianna you are back to talk to us about black panther and i couldn't be more delighted reunited and it feels so good and it feels so good i was gonna say back like cook crack but i didn't think that was appropriate (laughs) i'm still i'm here for that one too That's bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. You get a Vibranium Panther suit, and you get a Vibranium Panther suit. Because men fuck shit up. See, would be home alone triggered all the time. It's not, the revolution is not going to happen at, at the movie theater. Let's just go broad impressions first. How did you like the movie? How many boobs do you give it one to five? I give it all the boobs and like, not just like a regular size boob, even though there's no regular size boob, but like my size boob, which is like a triple D. So like big boobs, like real boobs, um, real heavy boobs, um, all the boobs. (laughs) I, that movie was emotional for me. Like it was a lot. I don't. I think I cried or got like water yacht in the first couple of moments. And it just was was like, I'm feeling things like this is all of everything that I ever wanted and didn't know that I needed and more. Tell me more. Tell me why. Um, I think that first, like the first couple of seconds when they're like breaking down like the history of Wakanda, like how this country came to be, uh, there was a moment where they were just talking about... uh, I guess, African development in the, the world we know it. And there was like a quick cut to, uh, or just reference to the transatlantic slave trade. And, you know, even though Wakanda is this fictional country in Africa, it's just like, and it's a fictional place and it's in the real world, but it's still kind of like very African, partly being just like black American and descendants of, the transatlantic slave trade, you feel like, ah, like they're black. Like I'm super excited. No one's taking that from me, but like, this isn't like, this isn't me for me, but to be included in that and the writer Ryan or the director too, co-writer Ryan Coogler being from Oakland, California, you know, it's just like, Oh, so this is for all, all the black people, all of us. Uh huh. Yeah. 
I also would give it five boobs. Yeah. And I also have substantial boobs, and I would give it five of my substantial <laughs> boobs as well. And I also got emotion, and I also was crying sort of early on. I was just kind of trying to put together when the last time was that I saw like such a powerhouse cast of African-American actors in such like a big budget extravaganza, you know, like with Forrest Whitaker and Angela Bassett and uh, Danae Guerrera and- uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o and Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman, like all these people. I feel like when you get that kind of African-American star power on screen, it's normally in a slave era biopic where mm-hmm. everyone's in rags and chains. Yeah. And to see that kind of uh, star power in a film where everyone is so glamorous and like not just glamorous and like not just grandeur, but the idea that like these are the clothes that are going to be dictating fashion, like at least for the next year, if not for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I've never seen that on screen before. Like that scene where if you've seen the film early on, there's a scene where like there's a a challenge event where people Mm -hmm. are arrayed on a cliff in their finery. And that's when the first time I cried. Yeah, no, I <laughs> felt it. Because it was so unbelievably glamorous. I also had this sense rushing through me very early on of like, oh, like this is what movies would look like if Hollywood producers saw women and people of color as people and not props. <laughs> like that one fact, just that one statement. Yeah. If it we were just shook people. me to my core. Shook it. For that reason alone, five boobs. Yeah. But there are so many others. I want to give like a sixth boob for <laughs> Michael B. Jordan and whoever Duke Winston is. It's like my first time seeing him. Right. Don't tell my boyfriend, but six boobs for them alone. Just them two. He was <laughs> M'Baku. Yes. Yes. He can. The mountain my Baku. dude. Yeah. Yes, he can. He certainly can. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but... Let's talk about Wakanda first in terms of intersectional feminism, Mm -hmm. if we can. How do we feel about the premise that Wakanda is a secret African nation that was never colonized by white Europeans and therefore they have preserved their heritage unimpeded and the women there are equal to men? Like, is that a fair imaginative leap to make that they would be that far advanced technologically, culturally, and in terms of gender politics, all because of the lack of white colonialism? I mean, I feel like I want to say, like, the world may never know because <laughs> it's, it's past and it's a Tootsie Roll commercial. Um, but I maybe I feel like when, like, doing research after seeing the movie and just before it and, like, learning about the who the women that the the what is it Dora Milaje were based off of mm-hmm. um there were lots of conversations saying that you know there were cultures that before the european invasion you know women were not seen as second class citizens like they were a functional part of society um and not just you know for making babies or you know gatherers or maintaining a household like they did other things and i think that's probably true for like I want to say, like, even indigenous people's cultures, I feel like I've heard or read Mm -hmm. in history. Um, But, like, even still, like, we don't even really discuss those in history. So 
Um, I feel like maybe that might be a possibility or like very true um, that there are cultures before that women were just regular people and not women or the burden of being <laughs> women. Women so. weren't women. They were yeah. people. Yeah. We wrote an article about the women warriors that. Yes. The mm-hmm. West African. What is it? Dahomey? Is that how you say it? The Dahomey women. Yeah. Uh, of. Benin? Yes, of yeah. Benin were Benin. were I believe at least partially the inspiration mm-hmm. for that all female guard in Wakanda. And then we also wrote the story about how indigenous women inspired the feminist, the early first wave feminist mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. in America. So those are all ripped from yesterday's headlines. But <laughs> it also reminded me of you know the premise I think in Wonder Woman where to have a Wonder Woman, she had to be raised in Amazonia with no men anywhere so she could be because raised to be a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, uh, it, it wasn't just men fucking shit up. It was the premise that wh- it is white European culture that fucks shit up. Um, I guess the world may never know, but it is a very pointed commentary, mm-hmm. to say the least. And it's a wonderful... Fantasia to fall into to see what a society might be like without that specific patriarchy being pressed upon it forever. To dream. dream. (laughs) Let's talk some more about the female main characters that everybody's going crazy for because they are truly main characters. I'd say that their characters were developed as much as the Black Panther was. Yes. And they were as instrumental in saving Wakanda as the lead character. And that's part of why people feel that it's such an important film, not just for black audiences, but for women who never get these kind of characters, let alone three of them. We've got Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia, who is King T'Challa's former lover and an undercover spy for Wakanda who goes on dangerous humanitarian missions. You get to decide. What kind of king you are going to be? We've got Danae Guerrera as Okoye, who's the head of the all-female special forces of Wakanda, serving as the royal bodyguards. Don't freeze. And then breakout star, whose work I'd never seen before, Letitia Wright as Shuri, who is King T'Challa's 16-year-old sister. She's the princess of Wakanda, She designed new technology for the most technologically advanced country in the world. My king. Stop it. And these women are super accomplished. They're super powerful, but they're not in line for the throne. And this is a patriarchy where succession is determined by hand-to-hand combat. Do you have thoughts on that? Does it diminish their stature in the society? Um, I don't know if I want to say that it's only, like, patriarchal, like, in that regard, because there's there's a moment where he, I don't know what, uh, the details, he drinks whatever blood and it goes into like, I want to say like some version of like Wakandian heaven. Right. And he sees his dad and or past Black Panthers. And I swear, I saw like women walking No, you did. Up. That so, was definitely real. So, I mean, I guess there's that like, I guess, what is it? The blood in, like it's the family, there's lineage, but there's definitely maybe past black pantheris i don't even know what the female version of the cat is but there were possibly female black panthers 
And there's a moment where like in the, it's his, I guess, crowning day. Um, and you know, they say like, is there a challenge? And his sister jokingly says something and like they stop because it's just like, oh, were you, are you serious? Cause like she could totally challenge him, but it it's weird just because she's a teenager and his little sister, but not because like she's a girl challenging yeah. him. I don't know. That was kind of the vibe I got that it was just like, are you serious? little sis? <laughs> like, don't, don't challenge your brother right now. But like, if she wanted to, it would have, I guess, been encouraged. I was about to ask that because full disclosure, I didn't see the movie yet because I went to the theater straight from a hospital and I was not in the, the mind space. And so I was the white girl that snuck out of the theater instead of the white girl crying <laughs> inappropriately <laughs> during the movie, which I felt was the most appropriate way to, to pull that off. Um, but so I was going to ask if can the women, they could fight if they wanted to fight them because they're warriors, right? Yeah, I kind of feel like that was... Well, here's what my research has revealed. Okay, research. Uh, While I was looking into this very question, I learned that in the comic book series, our friend Shuri becomes the first female Black Panther. Right. Later Mm. on down the line. Now... So she becomes the first one. Right. In this discussion, they also talked about how in the movie, they very specifically showed former Black Panthers and women among them. So in the world of the movie, there may have been previous ones, whereas in the world of the comic book, there were not. Mm. But they are possibly laying the groundwork for Mm -hmm. a Shuri Black Panther, which would make me bug out. I would be so excited to see that. That is what the rumor mill was telling me on the internet. Right. But I try not to read too much of the rumor mill so I can see the damn movie. I don't know. I just kind of feel like all the women kind of like had not free will, but like they were very vocal about what they wanted. And and it seemed like Shuri like had no desire to be the Black Panther. She's like, I don't want to do that shit. Like (laughs) I have my lab. I'm out here creating (laughs) your costume. Like without him, essentially... He's really just somebody running around in a cat suit. Like, it's really, like, she's <laughs> She's creating, the brains of the operation. She is the brains of everything. Like, from his shoes to his armor to the technology and how they communicate. And just really the development of the vibranium. And he's just, I'm the prince. And sort of just, like how Oprah knows she can do but more good without running for president. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Shuri is the Oprah of Wakanda. (laughs) (laughs) You get a Vibranium Panther suit and you get a Vibranium Panther suit. Oh, my God. If only. That would be. In the sequel, get Oprah. Right? A special iridescent outfit. Oh, my gosh. That would be something. In the lead up to the film, there were a couple of things going on on the interwebs. One of them was, uh, you know, equal lefty liberal whiteies on my feed saying, you know, like, this is a time for people of color to get together and celebrate and go to the box office and I'll go another time. I'm going to step down and this is not my party. This is theirs. And I'm not going to like crash their party. I'm going to go another time. And I was like, no, vote with your dollars, support superlative black work. Like, don't hang back. Don't be stupid. Um, And then, of course, I was horrified to see, like, there were neo-Nazis out there putting fake propaganda out there saying that white people were getting beat up by black mobs at the theater. Shit. That fucking bullshit. Made me crazy. 
Um, because they're literally trying to scare white people away from the box office to try to make the film not do as well. Sorry, Charlie, did not work. Yeah, no one's <laughs> getting beat up. They're dancing out of there. They're not fucking fighting yeah, was, you. <laughs> like, if we wanted to, like, attack white people, we're not going to do it at the movies. Like, this is not... We just want to watch the movie. Like, if we... Listen, we've discussed it for some time now. It's, it's not... The revolution is not going to happen at, the at the movie theater. It's, that's not going to happen. Do you have any thoughts on the questions going back and forth about whether or not Caucasians should be enjoying opening weekend of Black Panther? Or at all? I mean... <laughs> That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I just, I think as far as like just the, the sabotage on the internet of like what the plan was as far as, you know, like putting bad reviews on yeah, Rotten, Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes and shit. then like as far as going with the like the false claims of being attacked and it's just like, that's that's just like another, kind of just like another dig at like the the reputation, like the unfair reputation that black people have as far as being violent. And it's just like, really guys, like we really just are excited about this movie and to like stoop so low as far as like, I got beat up. I got a bottle thrown at me. And I was just like, what? At the movie theater? Who had a glass bottle? What is this? (laughs) Like it just, I mean, that's just, I mean, that kind of just comes with the territory. I think we're all kind of just used to it at this point. But I mean, we were coming out regardless for this movie. So it didn't really matter of like, if you guys don't want to come, just come and enjoy the film. But like, just know we're coming in full on Wakanda and Zamunda coming to America like cosplay. And and we did. I like, was living for uh, this. Oh my gosh. I was just like constantly Googling. All the pictures. I love a dance routine. I adore a dance routine. And so I was like, what? why white people can you not do a dance out of Harry Potter so that I can, <laughs> can dance with you? Let me dance out white of Harry Potter. White people love you a good dance. Even though dance. I've never been to a Harry Potter movie, I would go if there was some kind of dance. I don't know. White people dancing in cloaks would kind of scare me. Like, I don't know. That is something. Fair. That's absolutely that totally Like, oh my fair. God, it's a ritual. Get out of here. <laughs> Keep her cloaks at home. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Got to get out of here. But, but you bring up a very valid point, which I would like to explore further, which is the cosplay element of this film. When I saw all the pictures, I don't know if you guys saw, like there was like whole groups of like little girls getting together and dressing like the Wakandan guard all together oh, with oh, yeah. spears and doing like special dance routines. With yeah, like, this, I watched that spear when I was like five girls and they were just doing like lunges. Yes. I was like, they were like elementary ass. school age and it was like, I ovulated, I couldn't even take it. <laughs> but how important is this aspect of the film for kids and for broader culture in that way? I'm a grown ass 27 year old woman and it's important to me. <laughs> um, I didn't have any of that when I was growing up. Like, like you, you got to dress up. Like I could have been Snow White. I could have been uh, Cinderella, but it was always just like, oh, you're the black version. It's just like, I, I had nothing. I think about like when I was a little girl and everyone was reading those damn American doll, the books. Right. And all these white girls had all these different like time periods and they had Samantha and this one and that one. And who did I have? 
Addie the slave. Like she was fresh out of like (laughs) slavery. And like she was sneaking to read. And it was just like, geez. (laughs) Like I like to read. This is not a fun time for me. Like I don't want to be her. But it was like I was her by choice. And even like, or not by choice rather, um, even with like Disney growing up, I think every little black girl somehow identified with Nala from the Lion King. And that's a, she's a damn cat. Like she is an animal, but it was just like, there's no other Disney princess that is remotely close to how I look. And then Jasmine, but she's not black. She's just brown. Um, And it was just like, she's Southeast Asian, but like her complexion is closer to mine than Cinderella's is. So I'm rocking with her. And Mm -hmm. so to see like little girls getting to have a variety of black women to choose from, from one film, it's like, I, I don't know who I'm going to be for Halloween. I have choices now. I have whole choices. You I'm can excited. be like Callie and change your outfit every few hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you have costume changes? Like... Oh, fuck yeah. I was Britney Spears throughout the years once. <laughs> throughout the years. <laughs> I had like the umbrella and a bald cap. I was like, did you I had get to 2007 Britney? <laughs> <laughs> I went all the way. <laughs> That's... Next Halloween's going to be lit. It's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. It's going to be crazy. And the Comic-Con scene is going to change. It's going to turn on a dime. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. It's going to yeah. be a whole new look. I've always wanted to do Comic-Con. It was just like, I could do like little characters that like people, like people deep in the fandom would know, but it's just like, otherwise it's like, who's this? I'm like, I'm Max Gibson from the Batman Beyond. And it's just like, who's, what? <laughs> no one watched Batman Beyond. It's like, now you yeah. can Comic-Con your ass off. Yeah, now I got choices. <laughs> I'm going to be everybody. Oh, I'm so happy about it. So I touched briefly on the fact that the, you have to have like a big manly physical challenge at this point in the narrative to become the king of Wakanda. But there was also the issue that the women were legitimately warriors in Wakanda. They were adept at spearing and hand-to-hand combat and all kinds of deadly moves. And so as a result, there was there were numerous fight scenes where women and men were being violent with one another. Um, Some people maybe were triggered by it. There are people who have raised their children to say it is never okay to hit a woman. And yet she's your equal. You can, there was this egalitarian (laughs) society where women were soldiers, women were warriors and they were soldiers ready to fight. And it wasn't about gender. So is there a question of like, is it problematic that men are hitting women and women are hitting them back in a movie? Or is it the greater good that women are so equal in Wakanda that they just fucking go ham on each other? Well, I mean, it wasn't like it was just like the the women citizens of Wakanda that like are in the marketplace. It's like these are the Delora Milaje. Like these are the soldiers. These were like train combat and like it wasn't like an easy win for the men like they were sweating like these women were kicking their asses on that field but it was all in the name of like the betterment for Wakanda it 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 was a lot like it I wasn't expecting for the men to be as like it's like these are like your girlfriends and your wives and your sisters but it it was I don't want to ruin it for Callie, but it's uh, for those who did see it uh, or didn't. um, It just, it was a a pivotal moment, which is just like, either we're going to go with 
this guy as a Black Panther or we're going to go with this guy for the Black Panther. And it was a fight to the death. And I think the women like held their own for like a good portion for, of the battle. I think a that giant whole, battle sequence. I yeah. think that whole debate is insanely sexist. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what your sex is. It's, is that, per, are you punching down? Like mm. if you're a guy, you shouldn't be hitting someone that is like, maybe a decade younger than you and half your size, you know, like it shouldn't be about if it's a, a man or woman, like in kill bill, this assassin is coming after your ass. You're not going to not kill her or try to kill her just because the assassin is a woman. But then there's this other scene in the film where Michael B. Jordan, who's playing Killmonger, is in, he's in this cave with these special flowers and he like wants someone to destroy the special flowers and it's a woman like not a warrior woman not a member of the royal guard just like lady taking care of the flowers she's she like an elderly woman like, right and see he, now that is an elderly woman is different because if you were a man you shouldn't be punching elderly people either but right? women shouldn't supposed to be people. the villain so it's like you don't want to be like him so don't right don't yeah. punch an old lady so don't <laughs> punch an old lady so there was old lady punching in a way where it was like don't put your hands on a woman but then there were full-on battle scenes where they were going at yeah, it i think the difference is that it's an old lady it's someone who you are punching down instead of an yeah. equal and I think to say that men shouldn't hit women is implying that we're not can't be as physically strong as them. Right. That's bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> but let me ask you, I need to know about this flowers since I haven't seen it, but I know that there are some flowers and you know I'm out here for the drugs. Yeah. What, <laughs> what do they do? So there is this thing where there's a special flower that is cultivated in a secret underground cave and you... It's only for consumption by the Black Panther, and it gives the Black Panther his, like, superpowers, his super strength. But in order for it to be, like, a fair fight for the succession of the throne when it's time for, like, when it's time for them to decide who's going to take on the throne, they give him a separate flower to deplete him of all of the special powers that the first flower gives him so he can fight fair. Ah, Okay. So the flower is giveth and the flower is taketh away. So the so the flower is just a strength thing. You're not tripping out on it. I have no more interest in this flower. <laughs> there, there is like an ayahuasca-like uh, trip out communing with uh, the ancestors that comes along with it. Okay, it like back, this, I'm back with the flower. <laughs> yeah, it was like this weird Lisa Frank like color, like neon. Ooh. I was like, what? Am I on drugs? <laughs> It was a lot. It, it was, was cool in 3D awesome. for sure. Oh, I should have saw it in 3D. Yeah. But you're scared for the panther to come for your face. <laughs> no, I, it's very, it was a, that one scene where like they, it was in the dark and they like flashed a light and he was just in a tree. <laughs> I jumped out of my skin. I was like, oh, it was a panther. <laughs> and, uh, oh, speaking of, there's like a panther in a tree. Side <laughs> Sidebar. I just read an article today that you know how like generally like black cats are the last ones to get adopted oh, in shelters it. and since black panther came out all the black cats are getting adopted and they're getting like cool wakanda names and it's so cute oh my god i love it i love it okay sidebar is closed back to the, <laughs> back to the main highway of discussion in which i want to ask you about lady lust there were women openly lusting in the theater when uh, 
Michael B. Jordan playing Killmonger took his shirt off to reveal his ritual scarification. Women said, oh, women said, uh-huh. Women <laughs> said, whoa. I mean, I did that Google image search, so I, so I know what was up. <laughs> I've been lusting after him since we were children, back when he was in Hardball, like with Keanu Reeves, which was like his first film. <laughs> I just I just knew. I was like, he's going to be someone. And I was like in the sixth grade. He's gorgeous. It was my assessment that while the women in the film were exceptionally beautiful and quaffed and uh, coutured head to toe, the men were more overtly sexualized in the film. They were topless. And they were uh, there for my thirst to rain down upon them. (laughs) And I felt that that in itself was a step for gender equality. It wasn't like 007 with like Bond girls wearing bikinis just walking around for no reason. Mm -hmm. It was there were men there for for women to enjoy. And that was part of it. Whereas the women were not equally sexualized how do you feel about it was that a feminist move um i mean that's mm, i mean for my feminism yes that was a huge (laughs) feminist move but i feel like there's if we're talking about intersectionality um i feel like someone is going to come out with a piece um discussing the like the hyper sexualization of like black men and like Mm. what that looks like as far as and then as far as like bodies and body image and mandingos and blah, 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 like all that. Not to say blah, 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 like it doesn't matter. But for someone who enjoyed all of that, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to really read a think piece that is going to make me wonder like, well, I guess we shouldn't talk about the hypersexualization of black men. But M'Baku, like, jeez. <laughs> Man. I'm trying to be a part of the Jabari tribe, like, right now. (laughs) Goodness gracious. I just noticed that it seemed unequal in a way in which it's usually tilted the other way towards, like, Lady Flesh. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't help but notice. I wonder, because of, like, the history of the women of the, what is it, the Dora Milaje and them being based off of the Dahomey, am I saying it right? Dahomey women. The Dahomies. Yeah. Dahomey women. The Dahomies. <laughs> Dahomies. <laughs> um, like the history of those women um, kind of being uh, desexualized, if you will, um, as far as they right. were considered like what, I guess, third tier wives for whoever the king was. Um, like they were there to you know, fight for him. They were strong enough for that. And they were women. So they were still kind of his, but not enough that he wanted to sleep with them because he would essentially, they would, could they could essentially kill him. Well, that's <laughs> actually, that's an interesting point that you raise. Whereas in real life, the Dahomey warrior women were all, like you say, like third tier wives of the king and therefore had to not have sex mm-hmm. at all. Um, in Wakanda, that same f- force of warrior women that was led by Danae Guerrera, she's like having a a relationship yes. while she's having like a full on romance while she's leading the army. So obviously they went out of their way to show that this wasn't like, you know, more recently, I think it was Gaddafi had like an all female. Oh yeah. Harem. Virgin oh. Uh, security force. Um, something like that. And so like, I feel like they went out of their way to show that it's not that kind of party. 
Yeah. <laughs> that like they, they, they had, had sexual autonomy. Yeah. And I mean, and she had like a real relationship with whoever. I forgot what he was like a leader of some. Daniel Kaluuya was Kaluuya. her love interest, but I can't remember his character's name. I yeah, no, I can't remember. It's like M someone, M something. All I can say is M'Baku because that's clearly who's on my mind. Um, but I mean, they had like a real relationship. And I mean, there's a there's a scene where they're all fighting and it kind of comes down to like, would you kill me for like Wakanda? And she's Are just we like, fighting or are we fucking? And, she, <laughs> and she's like, absolutely. Like, I will choose Wakanda over you and yeah, it's just like how rude asking her to choose a job over <laughs> like but like and not only is it like a job like she's the general she is his like head command and you're just yeah. like why can't she choose to be a patriot to her country like that's probably the most feminist thing i've ever like heard of in a movie where she gets to like i'm fighting for my country and i will die for this country and i will end this relationship for right. this country i don't like anything that much but i like i don't like i don't like connecticut that much i don't want a career gal right yeah, yeah like well, no so oh man i did want to talk about one of my the sweetest things i think that was happening is all these people buying out full full theaters right the people in the community mm-hmm. and big boy brought a whole um how many it was 30 patients from a hospice oh and he had them go on like his super bougie tour bus and they had like all the they're like nurses and stuff with them. I was like, big boy. Oh my God. That is the sweetest thing ever. And probably insanely expensive because you have to bring so much medical equipment. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Kiali with the the technical, like, (laughs) you know how much medical equipment. Wait, you're taking these people from the hospice. How are they going to survive the movie? And then I kept reading. And just those videos of like the school kids when they told them that the whole school was going to go to Black Panther and they all started dancing. I couldn't take it. That got me emotional too. Oh my God. There's so many good videos just around the excitement of the film. There was people in when they were showing it in Africa who were doing like traditional tribal dances in the lobby of the theater because they were celebrating because it's never happened before. (laughs) I also love that R. Kelly got dragged. (laughs) (laughs) R. Kelly was like, I love Wakanda. Everyone's like, this is not for you. (laughs) You are not allowed. You can stay wherever the hell you are, sir. They had a Wakanda travel ban list. (laughs) (laughs) He's on the no-fly list to Wakanda. (laughs) Sorry, R. Kelly. You're going to have to stay with your harem here in the United States. (laughs) You are not invited. (laughs) This has been... Awesome talking to you guys about Black Panther. It's definitely my favorite movie so far of 2018. And I can't wait to see what happens in the saga next. When we return, I'm going to ask Brianna. I'm going to ask Callie. What you watching? I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel. A podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator. 
but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it. And he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what, what? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. I want to know what it is that you guys have been watching. And when I say what you're watching, I mean movies, television, books, music, videos, podcasts, everything. I want to know it. And I want to start with our beautiful guest, Brianna. So Brianna, bring it on. So I'm doing a lot. Um, So books, I'm picking up a book that I was supposed to have read when I was like in undergrad and it was just one of those books I didn't read, but I bought. So now I'm reading it. Um, It's called Black No More. Don't ask me who it's by. Um, But it's basically like a sci-fi book of like what would happen if all the black people uh, were white, if they could turn themselves white um, and what the world would look like if like black people were white and like there were no black people. Everyone's white. Like, could racism still exist? Um, so that's fun. I'm going to guess <laughs> yes. <That's insane>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> spoiler, alert, spoiler alert, yes. What else am I doing? Still listen to the same podcast. You all, uh, Jaden XD, The Read, which is like the first black podcast I ever heard. And they're on their fifth year anniversary, just passed. Um, getting Grown. And what else? Because that's like a, a podcast about like adulting for... Young adults. Uh-huh. <laughs> I need to do all these things. That's why um, you did your laundry. Yeah, see, look at me, being an adult. <laughs> um, and Netflix uh, and Hulu or whatever I'm watching, I'm still watching a lot of trash reality TV. Um, like? Because, like Love and Hip Hop, because you're going to have to pry that from... Did you see Safari's dick? Yes, I did. And I tried to Google image search it. Really? And it wasn't that hard to find it. I'll show well, you. I was a little late. And so now it's like, it, they're all like... Uh, really? I just showed it to like my coworkers today at lunch. <laughs> I got to so. re-Google. But also I was at my work computer and I was like, if his dick is gigantic and that blows up on my screen while this interns are sitting behind me. <laughs> no one's going to judge. It's just like, oh... Okay, well, is it as big as? Is no, it's it's really as big as people are making it out to seem. Enough that like I can totally accept him wearing fur coats in the dead of the summer. Like <laughs> this, you can do that now, sir. Yes, and you've earned it. Speaking of love and hip hop, 
I would be remiss if I didn't let our listeners know that you, yeah. Rihanna Mention, have interviewed Amara La Negra, yes. the breakout star of Love and Hip Hop Miami, for the new issue of Bust Magazine, the April-May issue. Uh, Look out for it when it comes out in March. Look for it. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, I guess this next episode, she'll be getting into a fight. So I'm excited for that. Um, <laughs> was she nice to you? Yeah, she was so super nice to me. And the person that she's fighting totally deserves it. So Team Amara. I want to say that I totally only seen these two movies because there were children around. They weren't. Um, I watched Coco. Mm. I've heard that's so good. Should it's I watch it? so, you should. You should totally watch it. You have on the, the uh, Dia de las Muertas shirt. Um, but no, that movie is... I, I'm so jealous that like I can't even say like oh well it's it's from the '90s like that's how good it is. It should have been one of our movies. Um, <laughs> Boss Baby made me cry. What? It made me like sob Seriously? at the end. I don't know if it was because like I was on like the first day of my period when I watched <laughs> that's completely it. Completely why? I was just like ah, ooh, this is so beautiful. Silly. <laughs> and finally. Uh, Hulu did me like the best thing that they could ever do, which I had been petitioning and tweeting Netflix to do for years, but they never made good on it. Uh, they uploaded the complete series of Living Single. Oh yes, I'm here and for it. I like. I feel like my mom when she was 25, and it's just that movie. It I mean really, that show. It's, it's just still held up. Like it's still it just really, as good held up like 20 something years like it's crazy i watched it with camilla like we were over at um, my friend amy's house and so we're we all grew up with it but camilla he grew up in chile so he didn't <laughs> like, know what is it and then we get home and he's like let's watch that living in the 90s show again <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable living in the 90s but that is that show like to know like to remember like my mom watching it me being a little girl and i remember there was like a scene where like someone said the word virgin and I looked at her and I'm like, what's a virgin? And she was just like, Never again with the <laughs> turn the channel. <laughs> so now that I can watch it now and I'm like, oh, that's what she did. She took his virginity because he was a virgin. But, um, and then also Altered Carbon I just started. Oh, that's which good. Is, is that worth so it? Weird. It is. It is super weird, but like I'm really into sci-fi so uh-huh. like quality sci-fi not like the weird sci-fi like sharknado not that shit, <laughs> yeah. but like, that's not sci-fi <laughs> i mean it shows up on the sci-fi channel every time i turn over there really? they're playing it i'm just like i don't sharknado three why is there they a three so many of those it's like what's that cartoon where they made like 50 million of them little feet Land Before Time. There's like <gasps> 200 Land Before Times. can i, can I make a going. sidebar yes so, <laughs> So Littlefoot is the the long neck dinosaur is actually called a uh, brontosaurus, and I was tall growing up, and I got into like an argument with this boy, and he was like, "Shut up, brontosaurus." Ah! So for fifth through sixth grade, I was brontosaurus, oh, and God. I have not healed from that. <laughs> but that's just a sidebar. Like you said. The land before time, and I was just it like, triggered you. it triggered me. And it's just like, oh, therapy. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> oh my god! But I love those dinosaurs now. But it was like, damn it. I do are... give it up to the kid though. He was quick. He was quick, even though he did stay back. And I was just like, because he's too busy focusing on his puns. It's like, how dare he sting me like that? And you stayed back twice. But he, got, <laughs> he got me. He totally got me. So. <sighs> 
Kids are cruel. <laughs> That's it. Callie. Yes. What you watching? Uh, what am I watching? I got, I was supposed to go out on Friday night to bike prom for Monster Track. So I got all dressed up in like sequin dress. Mm. I was wearing a cocktail hat. I was looking fresh. And then I turned on Queer Eye because Camilla was getting dressed. And then I didn't make it out of my house. (laughs) And I watched it this morning because you told me to and I liked it. I watched the entire season that night. Wow. (laughs) I did not go anywhere. People were like, where are you? And I was like, listen, I'm getting out. So did you ever see Queer Eye for the Straight Guy back in like? Yes, back in the the day. (laughs) Sometime in the The 2000s. But uh, so now they, they did a reboot. So it's just I've queer seen... eye now. Oh, so they do they help people besides straight guys? Yeah, there's a a gay guy who comes out to his mom. Aw, um, and that was basically the only one that was a straight guy. <laughs> <laughs> the first one had me crying immediately because the guy kept saying, "You can't fix ugly, you can't fix ugly," and they were just casting him up and made him feel so good and positive by the end. And I was like, "This is the show we need." <laughs> Oh, and then the guy comes out to his his mom and tells him that she has a boyfriend, and then she's she's like totally supportive, and then gets so excited to meet the boyfriend, and now they're engaged in real life. <gasps> oh my goodness! Oh, and then there was one where there was a Trump supporting cop. Oh no! And one of what? <laughs> I'm so confused. So they're they I don't know if they thought this through, if this was their intention or not, but so the. Everybody suggests the like you get nominated to be on Queer Eye by somebody, and this guy was nominated by his boss at work, another cop. <laughs> and so they're all in the car, the Fab Five, and one of them is black, and he's the guy that happens to be driving. When they get pulled over by the cop that nominated him, it's supposed to be like a sp- funny gag, and the guy's like, "Oh, I'm the guy that called you for Queer Eye," but you can see that guy driving is visibly shook. Oh. oh no! And so then later he's in the car with the with the cop, and he's like, "When your friend pulled me over, I thought that was it. I thought this was the time I get dragged out." He was he was like, "I." They talk about the whole thing, and he talks about like Black Lives Matter, and the cop was and he was like, "You know, you're judging black people just because of what some black people do." And then the cop tried to pull some, "Well, you guys are judging all cops because one cop can't control himself." <laughs> Yeah, but then by the end, it was like, I feel like they had a moment where they both like understood each other. And I was I was like, if they don't address this at some point in this episode, this is going to be fucked up. But they did. They approached it and I didn't have to turn the TV off and carry on to the next one. Ah, And then that guy, right after that, the guy, the black guy is their um, culture or like culture correspondent guy. And he's supposed to teach people how to behave. So he asked this guy, he asked the Trump-loving cop what him and his wife do when they go out on a date. And the guy was like, oh, we go to a really nice dinner, and then we walk around Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) The face, the face of the other guy was like, yeah, 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 we walk around Walmart. (laughs) Like, he could not even (laughs) process that as a date night. It was insane. Oh, oh man, the that's thing that hilarious. I... <laughs> I'm gonna try that sometime. I just have to get near a Walmart. Oh, but then I was watching it with a bunch of my friends who were in the room who also didn't make it out of the house, and um, 
And he was like, not for nothing. I have done the date thing at Walmart, but we called it dream dating. And they would go to Walmart, get a, pick up a six pack of beer and start drinking it in the, while they had the cart and fill the car, cart up with whatever magical things that they wanted to buy but couldn't <laughs> afford. And then they were like, nobody really stops you from drinking the beer because they're like, that bitch about to spend like $5,000. Let him drink a beer. <laughs> and I was like, I kind of like that And then they Walmart. just abandoned the cart at the end? Yes. It was like real life, like online shopping. You just fill your cart up and just like leave it. <laughs> and never check out. I can't afford this. So. <laughs> Callie, I did want to say, I'm glad that you suggested that I watch this show. I did not, I was not a fan of the original because I felt like the homosexuals that they recruited on that particular program were very mean to the straight guys. And right. They were like, your fridge is worried. gross and your bathroom's gross and your clothes are gross and you're <laughs> gross and this straight guy's so gross. I feel like that was like mainly what I got out of the first iteration of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And so I was interested to see what you liked so much about this new reboot. And I just saw a lot of like gentle promotion of self-care yeah. and emotional growth and, and getting like, guys to stop wearing cargo pants yeah <laughs> that was like a key every every episode but they were really like it's okay to feel your feelings and like you should reach out to other human beings because you're a, a beautiful soul and there's just a lot um of nurturing in this new iteration that was not there before um uh, I watched two Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. A classique. A classique. Camilla had never seen it. I was so excited. <laughs> I was living for it. Every R. time. R.I.P. Patrick Swayze. Every time that movie comes on. Oh, oh yes. Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Damn. Bring me down. Yeah. <laughs> I just love him. I'm sad he's dead. One time when I was really, really stoned in college, um, me and my friend Dana, for some unknown reason, <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Signed the back of all the posters and things in our room. Love Julie Newmar. <laughs> <laughs> so like randomly, you know, I'll be packing stuff and I'll flip it over and I'll have an autograph from Julie Newmar on the back. <laughs> oh, the feels. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I watched what they do in the shadows. Have you guys seen that one before? Hmm. It's also on Netflix. It's a mockumentary about vampires oh i did see that it was a funny mockumentary about that that's the new zealand one yeah it's got jermaine clement is that yeah. what um and it's like these vampires all live together in a house and so it's kind of like the real world for vampires. <laughs> the real world vampires i love it <laughs> yeah and so there's like one guy is like over a thousand years old or something and so and he's like all staunch and bitchy looking and the rest of them just look like normal dudes like sort of in old outfits and then this one guy looks like Nosferatu and um like they can't you know they have to like they fight about work and doing the dishes but then that night they have to go vampire around Little vampire. I love it. And then Spoiler like... alert, vampires are not great roommates. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're apparently making a sequel to the movie called Where Werewolves, like W-E-R Wolves. <laughs> Wait, what? We are wolves. Oh. Like werewolves. Because there's some werewolves in the movie. And then they're I... also gonna make it into a TV show. Ah. I'm kinda over werewolves and vampires. I, I think you'd enjoy this one. Okay. Because it's I, just okay. absurdly funny. Okay. That's great, Callie. I want to tell you 
what I've been watching. I was catching up on past episodes of Mark Maron's WTF podcast, and there was this crazy episode with Macaulay Culkin. I feel like... I love the call. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Oh, there was so much that I didn't know about him that I found so fascinating and also very, very sad. I stole his whiskey once. He, was, really? he wasn't mad about it. I actually... <laughs> we were at a... What's his pizza theme band? It was called the Pizza Underground. Yeah, the Pizza Theme Underground show. And we're backstage and I was like, nobody's opened this bottle of vo- of whiskey yet. And so I was <laughs> like, I'm going to open this up. And my friend Christian was like, don't, don't steal that whiskey. And I was like, calm down. And so then I turned around. He wouldn't open it for me. So I turned around to whoever was next to me and didn't look. And I was like, will you open this for me? And he wears a Macaulay it stacks the rings on like he works at a Hot Topic. And and he opened it up and gave it back to me. And Christian was like, did you just have Macaulay Culkin open the bottle of whiskey that you stole from him? And I was like, why, yes, sir, I did. (laughs) And he opened it for you. Yeah, he was a gentleman. And the band is really good. The singer is so good. (laughs) They do Velvet Underground covers, but they make the songs about pizza. It's oh it's worth going. Oh my goodness! And he plays like the triangle or something. In yeah, it. he plays the triangle. All but right. <laughs> he was like dropping truth bombs about his childhood, where apparently he's one of seven children, and he and his parents, so nine people, lived in a one bedroom apartment in Manhattan, all the way up through until Home Alone two. Well, pause for a second because I. Since it was a one-bedroom apartment, that sounds rough, but it's probably better because if he was one of seven and lived in a giant house, he would be home alone triggered all the time. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't think nine people in a one-bedroom Manhattan apartment is good for anyone for any reason. I would have thought that- Well, at least he's not going to get left behind. They're going to see his ass. He's right there. But I refuse Not necessarily. To if they all leave, it's it would be easy to like mistake one person being missing. But anyway, so besides the fact that they were all crammed in there, his dad apparently was an abusive psycho uh, and yeah, like would beat him if he didn't do well at auditions. And he would trot Macaulay and his younger brothers to like seven or eight auditions a day. Jeez. And like beat them if they didn't do a good job. And like literally, according to Macaulay Culkin, hated him and like was jealous of him because his father was a failed actor and Macaulay Culkin was not. And so he had all of this resentment against him. And um, I had no idea that before Home Alone, like before Uncle Buck, before all of those things, Macaulay Culkin was already a professional ballet dancer in New York City. I knew that. Like because doing the Nutcracker in, and stuff. Yeah, I, I made Camilla watch the Nutcracker. Oh, <laughs> For some reason, I was, oh, I was teaching Camilla the basic steps of ballet. Oh. <laughs> Don't, don't ask me why. And so I'm teaching him the basics and I was like, have you ever seen? And then I start going off on ballets and then we got into the Nutcracker and that one was the one with Macaulay Culkin in it. Wow. And <laughs> Camilla was so creeped out because he was like, who's this old guy creeping around? all Because like the, the dad is like, there's all these kids that come over and he's like, this looks like child molestation. <sighs> like. Jeez. Something a child molester would want to watch. He was like, I can't keep going. So, yeah. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin was a ballet dancer before he was even a child actor. And 
It was while he was a little baby ballet dancer in New York that he first met Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson went backstage oh, to whoa. meet Oh, well, I hope that wasn't on the Nutcracker. <laughs> oh, it was. It just all over the place. I think Camillo is right. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, no. And although he was pressed for explanations, he, he said that Michael Jackson absolutely was not only his best friend, but his only friend throughout Aww. his entire childhood. His only non-sibling friend. I was going to say, you got six siblings. You got friends. <laughs> I'm an only child. You got friends. <laughs> he, his only non-sibling friend and his best friend, and that nothing untoward happened, but that hanging out with Michael Jackson was exactly like hanging out with a child, for what that's worth. Like, he did not feel like he was hanging out with an adult when he hung out with Michael Jackson. And he's still Paris Jackson's godfather. I knew. I apparently know what? a lot more about Michael ja- uh, Macaulay Culkin than I knew I knew. But... You're not surprised by any of this. I am. <laughs> I'm over here going through it. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's so much there. And now he's Yeah, just... they're, they're really close. I, they're... Where was I? I was looking at something, <laughs> and Jackson, Macaulay Culkin was painting Paris Jackson's nails at some. They were having a slumber party. But Macaulay's not that much older than me, right? And Paris is not that much younger than me. So, like, what? there's just enough for him to be an elder. But <laughs> oh you know, he's like so burnt out from everything, from like his childhood being forced to work all the time that now he just drinks wine and paints in Paris all the time and wait not the goddaughter just in the sorry the city the city of lights I'm really over here going through it sorry yeah that would have been some wild wild (laughs) shit so confused I love him I hope he does I hope he's I hope the whole fine Hope he found okay. Rory and whoever else. Kieran. Yeah. All of them. I hope they all recover. I also want to say that there is something extraordinarily weirdly soothing about watching lots and lots of original Law & Order episodes back to back. My luscious research assistant has been doing that this week. Watching Jerry Orbach era OG Law and Order. That's super and OG Law and Order. There's a lot of murderizing in that. And so you wouldn't <laughs> think that it would be soothing, but there's just something so avuncular about Jerry Orbach that I just want to fall into the limpid pools of his eyes. Uh-huh. Sidebar, <laughs> Jerry Orbach was an organ donor, and when he died, he donated his eyes to someone, and I spend a really unsettling amount of time wondering who in New York is walking around with Jerry Orbach's eyes. Sidebar to your sidebar. They had that as a, in the train car, there was an ad that had him about donating and his daughter was not amused. She was like, I don't want to see my dead dad in the subway. Yeah, no, that's rough. Yeah. So that's why I think they had to take them down because she was like, it's great what he did, but could you not put his picture in my face? Yeah. So the moral of that story is, the TNT app has like all kinds of Law and Order OG on there if you're <laughs> if you're into binge watching some crimes. And uh, I am all caught up on high maintenance now, and I just want to say that that show is mad poignant, and I'm really glad that um, this is going to sound messed up, but I'm glad that the guy got into a terrible accident in that show because it allowed the viewers to learn more about the everyday non-weed delivery side of the life. Yeah, that was a really good episode. Actually, when I went to visit my friend in the hospital, I was like, 
Oh, you should watch the new high maintenance. He's in a hospital. <laughs> I was just really, oh, I was, golly. I was gratified <laughs> to learn about things like that. <laughs> that show is so good. I feel like it's one of the few shows that actually gets better over time. Um, another show that got better over time is I've been watching The Good Place because Erica told me to, and I finally got to the pivotal end of season one, beginning of season two reveal. Oh my goodness! Which I, gotta watch it. Uh, I know. I, I feel like is need to get now on this. legendary. I will not tell you what it is. Legendary, 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 legendary. legendary. But <laughs> if you are wondering, should I watch it? First of all, yes. And second of all, if you're watching it and you're like, huh, I don't know, like what the, what's the show about? Like, get to the end of season one before you make any rash decisions about staying or going, because there is. A, a massive twist that affects the rest of the show that you have to get to the end of season one. Kirsten Bell understand. is like the, the love of my heart. She's Aww. been that since high school with Veronica Mars. And Aww. that first season had a reveal. I'm still not over that. So like, <laughs> I trust that if you say it's a big reveal and she's in it, you mean She's it. the queen of the reveal. She is. And sloths. And sloths. <laughs> and sloths. Totes sloths. That, my friends, is what I've been watching. I want to say thank you for being a friend to our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer. (laughs) The passion, the passion. Yeah, it was restrained yet passionate. Um, I would also like to thank our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, and of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. Brianna, where can people find you? Um, somewhere on the internet, somewhere. What am I? I'm on Instagram now. So if you want to look up Brio, Brio, Brie. <laughs> That's <good luck>. me. <laughs> That's me. I'm not really doing much. And Callie will not get on the Twitter, which is fine. But <laughs> you can email that. us. You can email me. I'm at Emily Rems at bus.com. Callie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about this show and about bust at bust.com slash pop tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it until next time. Mwah!